on-page optimization is basically step one, but I think it's also the bigger driving factor in Google's algorithm. What's the latest on-page SEO factor which is working now and which will work according to you in the days to come? Well, things that I think will always be are... Welcome to the Shout Me Loud podcast, a podcast for bloggers about blogging, making money online, WordPress, SEO, and much, much more. Welcome to another podcast of Shout Me Loud. And this time I'm in Slovenia at Inorbit Summit. And I'm here with my friend Kyle. Kyle and me met at DMSS Bali last year. If you have gone through my article about DMSS Bali, you would know how amazing that conference is. And Kyle was talking about SEO. And his talk was talk of the summit. Like everyone was so happy about his talk, the way he presented. And I met him again here at Inorbit. And luckily I was at his talk and... This time I actually experienced it firsthand to understand that how much time he really invests in his talk to make it meaningful for the people. And I'm so glad that Kyle is joining us for this podcast. We'll be talking about SEO, the actionable data that you can apply in your blog on your business to rank your content. So let's welcome Kyle. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Harsh. Thanks for having me. Yes. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. Yeah. How's it going? Oh, this was a great conference. I had a really good time. In Orbit really does a great job, I think, for the speakers and also the, the attendees. I think it was a fantastic conference. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, so Kyle, uh, let's straight jump to the thing. And so before we get started, let me add a few things. So Kyle also have a SaaS tool, a non-page SEO tool. It's called POP, Page Optimizer Pro. To be honest, it's very technical for a layman right now. But if you're somebody who loves, who eats, sleep, and drink SEO, you would love this. What does POP do? It's an on-page uh, evaluation tool. The, the concept is that the secret is hiding in plain sight. So if you can identify the sites that are doing good on-page in your niche, you can put those into the tool you put in your page, and the tool will tell you how to tweak or optimize your content to give a page that Google wants to rank. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so I definitely mentioned that it's not for the layman right now. Yeah, that's true. Do you think it will be ready for layman anytime soon? Absolutely. As soon as we get through this month, quarter one, UX UI is the whole push for quarter two, and it's going to look pretty slick. And I think when we do those updates, I think anybody, any content writer will be able to use the tool. And that's our ultimate goal is we want to get into the space that people who have blogs or are pushing out content but want it to be SEO'd. We're um, going to make sure that those people, regardless of their SEO knowledge, will be able to use the tool. Sure. Yeah. So you have your concept and idea ready? Yeah. I think I told you um, it came to me in a dream Yeah. <laughs> uh, about two weeks ago, you know, like right before you fall asleep, you know, in that state, it came to me and I put it together and I was like, I think I just figured out SEO. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really, at least how to explain SEO. Yeah. I've never seen somebody like, oh, I woke up with Eureka. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's how much SEO I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dreaming about SEO. I'm just doing SEO all day, every day, and I'm apparently doing it in my sleep now. Oh, yeah. The fun fact, I asked Kyle, hey, Kyle, how many hours do you work? He's like, I'm working all the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's interesting with cell phones, I can probably do 80% of my job from my phone. And so while I'm working all the time, that also gives me the flexibility, just like you, to travel. If I didn't have my phone and the work I could do there, I couldn't be here. You know, because the agency would suffer, the the tool would suffer. That kind of thing. Yeah. It's it's like it's one of the things that like I'm tethered to my phone, but at least I get to go out. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and yeah, see that, the world. That's the beauty of internet lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. All right. So let's get to the meat of this podcast and let's talk about on page SEO. Do you think on page SEO itself is a great ranking factor? I think it's the heavy lifter. I would say it's the most important thing you need to do because you can't rank a blank page. 
there's no blank page that you can do anything to that will rank for any of your keywords. So you must have something on the page and that must be optimized for a particular keyword. So I think on-page optimization is basically step one, but I think it's also the bigger driving factor in Google's algorithm. Sure. So what's the latest on-page SEO factor which is working now and which will work according to you in the days to come? Well, things that I think will always be are there are different places on the page, the different signals that carry different weights. Those weights might shift a little bit, but they will always be. I mean, you can't invent a new place on a page. Like those things are very clearly identified. So those signals exist. If you optimize in them, if you put something into those signals, that will always be. That's evergreen. So what are those signals? Well, those would be your your meta title, your H1, your URL, and in the body. Those four are the top four, and they have been for years. And I think they will continue to be. Yeah. So if there's a keyword that you want to rank for, you need to have it in those four places. Sure. Like a second set would be your H2s, H3s, H4s, and anchor text. Clickable text that's on the page. That would be a, a group B. Okay. If you will. And, and things can kind of go down from there. But something that's very important that maybe people don't know is that the number one ranking factor right now is diversity of factors or breadth of factors. It is better to have a page that has, say, 200 signals filled out that are under-optimized than five that are perfectly optimized. Okay. So the number one factor that is coming out that we can see in a lot of the correlational data that we run to monitor the SERPs is that just having as many factors filled in as you can is the number one ranking factor. Okay. So you're saying like all those 200 plus ranking factor mm-hmm. was to try to, you know, have some amount of those factor on their website or on their page. That's right. The technical term, as we say, the number of non-zero factors, mm-hmm. meaning not that you have a little bit in something, but you actually, that factor registers as a zero. So the number of non-zero factors is a ranking factor. Oh, solid. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's the number one ranking factor. Yeah. And you did mention about H4 tag. Do you think like they add real value? Yeah. Yeah. You definitely go down to the H4. But when I do my comparison analysis, I see what my competitors are using. If they aren't using H4s, I put that to the end of the optimization test. I'll optimize other things first. Okay, so this is a basic one. On a blog, usually we have something like related post, popular post, those headings on the sidebar. And at the footer, do you think that should be H4 or that should be P-tag? It's not in this or that. It's definitely what your competitors are doing in that niche. That's what I would emulate. So if they are using them as H4s, I would do H4s. If they're doing them as paragraph text, I'd probably do them as paragraph text. So in competitor, you mean like the people who are already ranking for those keywords? That's right. Google is showing you what it likes for that keyword. And so you want to create a page that is close to that because that's the type of page that Google wants to rank. And sure. so that, that would be my guiding principle. Looking at those top 10, top 20, pulling out the ones that are doing good on page, I would then compare what they're doing in those situations. That's how I would guide myself to optimize. Sure. That's interesting. Um, okay. So what is the ideal word length for a good on-page SEO? In a vacuum, in the test that we've run, you're coming out at 1,300 to 1,500 words. But again, word count is the same kind of thing that I would do an evaluation on. Because perhaps for your keyword, a single product page is ranking. Well, that page might only have 250 300 words on it. So you wouldn't want to do 1,300 words. That's counterproductive. On the other hand, you might be doing a business financial blog, and those articles are going to be 3,000 to 5,000. You know, and you doing 1300 probably won't get you in the game. So 1300 words is a general principle. If you don't have time to figure out, or if you just want a ballpark, I would, I would shoot for that. But otherwise I would actually, again, look at the SERPs and see what kind of pages there, what kind of amount of words are there. And that's what I would go for. Yeah. So there it is. Like whenever you have your keyword ready, the best way is like you first scout all those top 10 results. See what is the average word length they have. Make an average of top three. 
and then focus on that particular word limit. That means you're also covering all the topics that are in those articles. So that becomes part of your content brief. Okay. And that gets into, we've talked a lot about TFIDF, the other terms that come up in a conversation. That's where that would come into play. You know, where you've got, you're evaluating those sites, not only for their structure and how they're using your keyword, but also the other words that they're using, the contextual words and a tool like TFIDF can help you get there to get those other terms. Yeah. How's TFID different than LSI? Okay. Well, TFIDF is, you know, term frequency divided by inverse document frequency. Then you have another similar concept, which is LSI or LSA, if you prefer that. And then there's NLP, natural language processing. All three of those, I've studied them a lot. And what I found interesting is that while they have different approaches, they all come to about the same result. In the end, they're trying to find the important words on a page, not just the, and if you filter out the keyword, excuse me, if you fill out the keyword and it's say close synonyms, the words you're left with in all of those are about the same words. So okay. in my opinion, they are very valuable and you should be adding that in, but I don't think you need to get too upset about which one you're using or which one might be more valid because in the end, they all end up with the same words and those are important words and you should be getting them on your page. Yeah. So usually whenever we use a tool for LSI or TFID, they give like two or three words. So is it important for those words to be in the same sequence or can it be like those three words can have different placement as a single, single word? Yeah, you can often split it up and place it. Again, these words are supposed to provide context. The example I always give is talking about a kitchen. If you're talking about a kitchen, LSI or TFIDF or NLP could be words like sink, stove, refrigerator, but they also could be recipe, cooking, ingredients, or they could be family, love, home. Those are all different conversations that you can have about a kitchen. Right. Those other terms give context. So they're not synonyms for a kitchen or another way to say kitchen. It's what we're talking about in the conversation. So these tools can help you find those other terms and they should make sense in your copy. If that's what you're talking about, you shouldn't have to wedge them in. They should happen naturally, but tools can kind of give some guidance as to maybe a term or two that you're missing. So on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the highest, how important it is for somebody to actually use this word recommended by these tools on their article? I would say importance is probably about the same as word count length, a little bit more. Hmm. I would go in terms of importance, you know, your exact match placement, its variations, your LSI, and then word count is probably in that order of, um, of importance. Sure. Okay. So let's move from the basics, like, you know, after the H1 and the basic word limits, what are the next on-pages factor that one should be focusing on? A group. So those H tags, and then the next group would probably be things like your image alts, bold and italic. Those are weaker signals, but they still exist and they still do move the needle. After that, I look at things that humans aren't seeing, but search engines are, such as open graph, uh, Twitter cards, HTML tags, links that exist in the source code. Those are all uh, strong signals and things that I would focus on after that. So by the links that you mentioned, which is added using the schema tag, or are you talking about the links which are around the blog? Content? So like an image, for example, will have a link or um, a script might have a link. Google is reading those for sure. And um, I actually look at the source codes of my competitors as well. So don't just look at the text. Right. Don't just look at what you can see because Google doesn't read that. You know, Google's reading the source code. You need to look at the source code because that's where Google's grabbing its information from. Yeah. Is there any good tool which actually help us to see how Google sees our website? Well, I think that's what a tool like Page Optimizer Pro is supposed to do. A, a tool like Quora, a C-O-R-A, Quora, mm-hmm. is supposed to do. And then there, there are several others in, in the niche. That's what they're all trying to accomplish is to yeah. kind of pull stuff out to, to look. To, this is what Google is looking at. Okay. Yeah. How about the page speed? 
I don't think page load time is the ranking factor. I've run several tests where I've taken pages to say their load time is 20 seconds versus pages where their load time is one second and you can't get that page to drop. I I don't think that load time is the factor, but this also goes back to what I think about Google. And I think it was 2012 that they announced that page speed was a ranking factor. And then they gave maybe two or three tools. And then all those tools really focused on page load time. So everyone thought, ah, it's page load time is the ranking factor. And Google just didn't confirm or deny anything at that point. But they always do that. Exactly. So they let, but they do this a lot. Uh, Same with like, um, they say that uh, just recently that what, like eat is a ranking factor or something like that, but they don't define what that is. They give a category. Well, of course, maybe expertise or trustworthiness or authority. Of course, those might be a ranking factor, but what is that exactly? And then they just let SEOs go crazy with the, with the idea. So I think back to the page speed, I think the ranking factor is time to first bite TTFB. And I think if you have that under one S, yeah. you're fine. Yeah. So TTFB usually depends mostly on your web hosting, how fast they are. It's a good idea that you use a CDN to decrease down the TTFB. And adding to it, it's a good idea that you make sure that your page loads within two to three seconds because number one, it gives great user experience. And that is undeniably better than any SEO tip that you'll ever get. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't recommend you take your pages to 20 seconds just because you can, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because you definitely want people to resonate with your copy or they want, they want, you need to have a good user experience, which again is also when I talk about optimization, I, I don't think you should just be. I don't think it's a debate between SEO copy and good copy. If you take the time to do an outline and actually focus on your writing, if you write an outline, you will get both good copy and SEO copy. I don't think those are two different ideas at all. Yeah. And there's the goal there. A lot of people actually don't create an outline before writing. And it's a great idea that you actually scan the top 10 results for your query. See what are the subtopics they are covering and what are the topics that you thought of. And then based on this, create an outline. You know, sometimes it feels like you're actually writing an article, but that's not how it works. You're basically getting started. And rather than focusing on creating a lot of content in a small amount of time, you should definitely focus on creating few, but high quality content with high traffic and with the right intent that actually moves the needle for you, your business, your blog. It's just like when you're in school, you know, if you, if you sat down and, and you wrote an essay, yeah, you wrote a terrible essay. But if you did what you're supposed to do and outline it first and then research it, you know, and then write your essay, your essay is significantly better. Oh, definitely. It, and it, it, it works the same in life. But, you know, everybody hated writing that outline in school. And still, as adults with our websites, we still hate writing the outline. But, you know, it's still something you must do. There, there's a If you do that, then you're going to end up with great copy and SEO copy. Yeah, and that's what differentiates between a normal and a great blogger. Yeah. So depending which way, which direction you want to Well, do you want to be an amateur or professional? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So now we'll move our conversation to keyword research. And I believe if you're doing your keyword research right, well, you are moving your business needle really fast. If you're doing keyword research, but you're not doing it right, you are basically spending a lot amount of time and resources on the things which is not going to be really helpful. So moving back to Kyle, Kyle, what are the basic keyword research mistakes that any business or a blogger make? Well, something that I talk about is that you need to think about what the end goal is, what type of traffic you're trying to get. And most people go head on with that. They go right to like, well, this is my keyword phrase. And so this is what I want to rank for. But if you are selling something, as an example, really what you want to do is you want to get in front of people that are where they can see where your value is or where your USPs are. 
you know, or your most important, like where you differentiate between you and the competitor. So if you can brainstorm, uh, keyword concepts around that, that highlight you, they're usually easier to win. And, uh, uh, they get in front of the audience that you're really trying to get in front of. And, and it gives you the best opportunity for conversion. Yeah. Do you have any examples? Yeah. Uh, one example is where a client of ours has bank products and services, but they're not necessarily a bank. So we have to go up against the largest banks in the world, but we're not a bank. So we could go for a checking account because we have a better checking account. Sure. But the reason our checking account is better is that we have better fees. So what I realized is that we need to go after fees pages. But something else that I realized in the research is that competitors don't optimize for things that embarrass them. So they do have fees pages, but they're not very well optimized because they're not spending time on that. So if you can create pages where you highlight what the competitor is doing, you can win searches around that, but then you can also side-by-side -side compare. And so like in, if the if the user is searching for something that, say they got a fee that they don't understand, yeah. they're like, what is this on my bill? So they'll go and search for it. What is this charge for this particular company? What you can do is you can optimize a page for that. And then you don't disparage you know, yeah. your competitor. You just provide the information. And at the same time, you say, hey, are, do you not want to pay that fee? Because if you were with us, you wouldn't be paying it. So you can get these keywords that are high volume, depending on the size of the competitor. You can get high volume keywords that don't have pages that are really very optimized. And then you're getting in front of the user at the time when they're most angry at that competitor, when they're the most confused, when they're most frustrated, the point that they will convert the most. Sure. Yeah. Because you're focusing on their pain point and you're giving them a solution right there. Instantly. So you can do this with many things. So fees, return policy, uh, how to file a complaint, hours that they're open. Maybe your hours are better. Maybe you have 24 hour service or something like that. And they're only certain business hours or they're in different time zones and you're in a better time zone to the audience. So you can probably optimize for all those things. Sure. Uh, so what's your methodology of finding such keywords? Well, we do the basic stuff too. Yeah, obviously. But then uh, a lot of what I like to do is dive into the data that we have. And the data that exists already in Search Console. Yeah. One example is finding underperforming keywords. So you might have uh, a site that is, is ranking well. You know, you've got a lot of page one terms. I look to see if any of those are underperforming. You know, just because you're on page one doesn't mean you're getting the clicks that you're supposed to get. Sure. So one thing that you want to figure out is, am I getting the right number of clicks? And a way to do that is to determine your click-through rate by rank. So what you'll want to do is take all of your keywords from Search Console and download them and then remove all the branded terms. Okay. So now we're just looking at those terms that are, are pure search and then organize them by rank. So Search Console does this for you. You know, you see you all the ones and then it goes 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, cluster all those together and then get your click-through rate average from those. And I take that down to the 20th position. And you're talking about single page at a time. This is just word by word. So when you go into the keyword area, just download all those keywords. Oh, for the whole website. That's right. Yeah, for the, the whole website. Hmm. Exactly right. And then that gives you what your click-through rate, your anticipated click-through rate is by position. What you'll, you'll, you'll see a couple things real quick. One is white papers that talk about click-through rate. Don't know what they're talking about. Okay. You know, because <laughs> I, I've never seen those click-through rate numbers in real life. So that's, that's one thing. Two is that like, um, if somebody ever said like the best place to hide a dead body is on page two of Google. Yeah. It's, though you'll find out it's not true. That's probably one of the very popular SEO quote. For sure. But you know what? It's a meme and it's, 
and it's funny. It must be true. I've seen it on Facebook. Yeah. If you do your own CTR analysis or you do this across several of your sites or your client sites, uh, you'll find that that's simply not true. There's a lot of clicks happening on page two. Yeah, you were adding something about like even on the page two, you were getting a good number of clicks. Oh, certainly. When you look at a page-by-page -page analysis for your site in Search Console, you'll notice that of all the keywords that a page ranks for, your average for a good page is page two. Okay. So most of the keywords that page is ranking for are not on page one, and a lot of those are driving a lot of traffic. So if you're discounting something because like, oh, we could only get to page two, like maybe page one is full. That happens, you know, where this, we're never going to win this keyword. We're only going to be on page two for it. There still might be a lot of traffic there on page two. But anyway, once you've established what your click-through rate should be, what you can then do is then compare, you know, I've got a keyword that's ranking in this position. What's its click-through rate? What should it be? Hmm. And if you realize that your click-through rate is lower than it should be, what that means is there's something wrong with your meta title or your meta description. When somebody's searching for that particular keyword and they see your result, something is missing. They're not feeling, it just doesn't seem like the right thing to click on. So it's a very easy thing to fix. Don't change your keywords, but just change the messaging around them and see if you can't get a boost. But often you'll get 1% to 3% click-through rate increase in these situations, which if you add that up across multiple keywords, turns into very impactful traffic and you didn't have to do anything to improve your rank. Okay. You're taking advantage of your rank. You've already done that work. Now we're increasing organic traffic, leads, conversions, simply by small tweaks to what you already have. Sure. Okay, yeah, that sounds interesting. Uh, and here's the thing. If you actually look into your Google Search Console data, which I believe is the most accurate form of the data, you will understand what is the intent that people have while searching for your articles or your pages or your product pages. And then using that data, if you can optimize your meta title and meta description and probably part of the content, well, you are doing a damn good job because now you're actually getting traffic, which really matters. For sure. Okay. So what are the keyword research tools that you can recommend to our readers? I use all the big tools. I do lean for research purposes on Ahrefs a lot, but I use Moz difficulty score still. Yeah. I love it. Okay. And I also use um, Majestic for their TNA, the, the title and anchor. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Within Majestic, you can put in a keyword and it tells you in their database uh, how many pages and how many domains have that keyword in its meta title okay. and have a backlink with that exact anchor text coming in. So how does it help? That shows you how many competitors you actually have because it's very difficult to accidentally get a exact keyword phrase in a meta title and backlink coming in, anchor text in the backlink. So as a result, you can see how many competitors you're really going up against. So what happens when you see like a really high score for a particular target keyword? Would you aim for it or does it mean like now your challenge is much different? You're much higher, you know, because it's going to tell you how many pages you're going up against. When you do a particular search in Google, you know, it'll tell you, okay, I came back with 1 million results. Right. Technically, those are your competitors, but not really. You know that once you get to page five, you're looking at garbage usually, right? Yeah. But what this will show you is how many inside of those pages are actually really trying for this keyword. So what you can find is sometimes a keyword has, you know, 700 pages. Well, that's going to be pretty tricky, but you might find one that has 30. Well, all things being equal, that's only three pages of Google where yeah. people are really trying. So that could be a much better keyword option. Oh, sure. So yeah, Ashrefs, Majestic, Mouse Difficulty Score, mm -hmm. any other? When I'm stuck, you know, like um, you've got like Longtail Pro or the keyword.io and stuff like that, I'll, I'll look for, sure. you know, you just take a look, right? Yeah. So I'll put all these search tools in the show notes you can find from there. What about the site audit tool? 
I use Website Auditor. I've used that for years and years and years from Link Assistant, SEO Power Suite. Yeah. I like their on-page auditor. I use Sitebulb, which is really nice. Yeah. Uh, Are you still using Sitebulb more or using Website Auditor? For the pretty pictures, I'm looking at Sitebulb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but um, actually, in, in the agency, we lean on Website Auditor more when we create reports for clients. Yeah. I've been playing with Website Auditor and like I believe it's quite technical. No, for sure. Yeah. But once I'm like finding my way through it, I can see like how valuable the data it provides. And it matches up too. There are things that overlap like 404s and you can then kind of look at search console, which is going to have maybe some more accurate data and those numbers match up. So it makes me feel better about, yeah. not, not every time, of course, but I feel good about the data that I yeah. see in website auditor. I think the key is not to rely on one tool always. Totally. Yeah. yeah. When we run our website audits, I think we're using easily 15 different tools. Some, oh, wow. you know, for very specific things to look at because one tool just doesn't do all of it nicely. Sure. Okay, so we move to the next segment, which is about backlink building. Okay. Probably one thing that people are always wondering, number one question is, does backlink really work? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. It has since the beginning. It it will continue for quite some time. Yeah, so what's the best way to go about building backlinks for any blog? So the first thing that I always do in any campaign is I want to make sure that I'm owning my brand name. Hmm. So I will go in and you can use a tool called, um, noem.com, like oh. no and then em.com. No as in knowledge. Mm-hmm. And you can put in your brand name and it'll show you all the available properties that you can claim the brand name on. So this would be like web 2.0. It's like wordpress.com, tumblr.com, issue, medium, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I go out and I own all those and I don't post content on them. I mean, you obviously can, but what I use them for are almost like my own citations. So I'll put the business information on them, the address, the phone number, and then a link to either the homepage or the the target page that I'm focusing on. Uh, do you use the same description all the time? Yeah, same description, just like a citation. Whatever uh, we decide is the, like, this is the official description of the site that we're going to use in yeah. citations we use on there. Yeah, I usually found like doing this actually helps your website to get indexed really, really fast. For sure. I also think it really creates a ring of trust. So if somebody does something negative to your site, I think you've got a buffer of good links coming in, safe links, normal links. Yeah. So like if something weird starts to happen, I think it it's kind of a preventative measure as well. And then if you like to do dirty things, this gives you a vehicle to do dirty things too. Sure. <laughs> if you want to do a lot of aggressive link building, you can use these properties for that. Okay. I don't, but it's definitely uh, an option. Good to know that. <laughs> I, I do not advocate doing that, but um, for those that want to, that's an option. Yeah. So, okay. What after that? Like if I want to build links to my inner pages or post, how to go about that? What I'll do... And then this kind of goes to a bit of an on-page strategy. If you're selling something, a product or a service, and you ask somebody to link to it in real life, they're going to tell you to pound sand. Why would they link to a page on their site that you're selling a service or a product? It's highly unlikely. It happens a little bit, but ultimately, why would another business or another interested party in their own thing link to your page where you're selling? But what they will link to often is good content where you've written something useful or valuable to their audience. You know, those longer like how to's, best of's, but even like things that are somewhat related to your con, like if it's a travel blog, what's New Zealand like in August? Sure. You know, that could be a great article. What is new? I don't know. Like, but maybe somebody who's interested in ski packages might actually be pretty interested in, in those. What I'll do is I'll build content out like that and then I'll link to that content. Okay. But all of that content links to each other and there's one link and I'm going to my target page. 
Okay. So then I will use all those pieces for my outreach efforts when I try to get people to link, if I build links to those. Because it's so much easier to get a link there. And if you've done proper internal linking, that link juice will pass to your target page and you don't have to build links directly to. And it works. Oh, yeah. Okay. How do you go about doing the outreach? In our agency, we have a full-time person that just about full-time that that's all she does hmm. is that type of outreach. Lots of your, your basic guest post outreach type techniques, but really looking for strategic alignment where we can line up with a site that it makes sense to line up with. So do you do a lot of research and filter out a lot of content first? Yeah. So we'll do, you know, looking across a few different metrics tools with Ahrefs, Moz, and um, Majestic to get like TFDA and the DR. And then filter out from there by category. We use Topical Trust Flow, TTF, out of Majestic a lot to see the topic that it appears that that site is based on its links so that we can try to get relevant links. Yeah, and how about the traffic? Does it matter, like, if those pages have traffic or not? If it's a real site, it's going to get traffic. Even if it's a little bit of traffic, I think you should feel fine about that. I don't think you should discount a site because it's not getting a lot of traffic, but you can tell if it's a, if a site is real or not or if somebody has just put it, if you just stumbled across a PBN. Yeah. So what is the suggestion you would give to anybody who's planning starting with the outreach? Like, do they simply, like, reach out to these people and say to them, hey, I've written this amazing article, can you link to me? Or there's more to it. There's almost always more to it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I guess I think, I think everybody starts with the, the idea that you can just read, I'll just, it makes sense for them to link to me. They should totally link to me and you reach out to them and you just don't hear back, right? There's usually something else that you have to offer. Maybe you can partner with them on, on, um, promoting across your channel. Yeah. Maybe you can offset some cost for them. Sure. Because obviously it takes time and money for them to, to yeah. create some. So find out what their needs are, you know, and that takes time, but they probably have a need that you can fulfill. And then it makes sense for that partnership to happen. So maybe that's, that's obviously not the best answer, but because link building is hard. I think the return rate is about 1% on the outreach. If you can do like 2% return on the outreach you do, you're probably killing it. Well, that's significant yeah. numbers. Right? I mean, you send out to a hundred sites, you're going to get one to two. Wow. I think if, if you can do better than that, you're winning. Sure. Yeah. What are the tools that you can recommend for the outreach? We've refined the process a lot. We use GMAS to track the emails and the outreach. I've been hearing some like mixed reviews about GMAS yeah. recently. Yeah, I think they're all mixed. Yeah. yeah. I, I think what you need to do is play with one and the one that you can just use, just sure. just go with it. And when you do the outreach, do you use the same domain email or do you use some other domain email? Uh, we have a couple different, depending on who we're trying to talk to, because you find that different people respond differently. And, you know, some people, they see SEO and a what would you recommend to a blog? Like, should they be using their domain email address? Should they be using something like, you know, instead of .com, they buy a .in or .mx, something like that? I would actually break it down by the audience that they're trying to. So are you are you reaching out to, like, a, an old school established website? Hmm. They, they're not going to want to see something that looks media related or like SEO in the, in the name. Yeah. So then I might use something else. But then you might be talking to somebody in the tech space and... They're comfortable talking to an SEO company or, yeah. you know what I mean? We, I think that's how we do it, looking at what we need to. Yeah. Okay. So another way I look at it, if you're doing like, you know, a very limited number of outreach, mm -hmm. then it's okay to use the domain specific yeah. email address. But if you're doing, you know, mass outreach, when you're saying like, you know, it's one or two percent, like, so that means hundred email, one conversion. Now in that case, if you're doing at that scale, which you can do with the tools, like there are many outreach tools, we'll probably add a few of them in the show notes. In that case, it's better to use a variation of your domain email address or probably some other email address altogether. So, I agree. So that your domain does not get, you know, marked as spam and that would not affect your email marketing altogether. That's a very good point. 
Very good point. Yep. So what's the first domain name you ever purchased? It was um, a test site, actually. <laughs> so when I started SEO, you know, you, you do a search like, is this a ranking factor or something? <laughs> and you see 10 answers. Three say yes, three say no, three say maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and I realized that that's garbage. Like there has to be an answer. There. So then I realized, you know, people are very successful in SEO. They can't be reading these nonsense blogs about SEO or, or getting this, the general advice that, that most things give. What are they doing? And I realized, oh, they must be testing. So the first domain that I bought really was, was uh, for testing so I could build a site and then I could play with it. And so it was just a random set of. Do you remember the name? No, it was it was nonsense. <laughs> it, 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 no, it, it, I don't even remember. But it was it was just like letters put sure. together just so I would have a, a site that couldn't have had a history. Was yeah. is what I was shooting for. So it'd be um, completely fresh, and there couldn't have been anything behind it. Sure. All right, guys. So if you stick around till this time, that means you enjoy this whole takeaway, whole knowledge bomb that Kyle has dropped here. Now let's take a few minutes and let's understand more about Kyle. And, you know, it's good to know somebody as a person as well. So, Kyle, here you go. <laughs> Let's talk about you now. Okay. Yeah. Where are you from and who are you? Sure. I live in Phoenix, Arizona, in the U.S. Uh, Arizona's in the southwest, so it's in the desert. It's the state next to California. It's really, really nice uh, three seasons out of the year, and summer is incredibly hot. Yeah, it's a desert area? That's right. And yeah. They call it a, a green desert, though. It's kind of, it's really pretty. That So all the cactus that grow... And it's not a sandy desert. It's a dusty desert. But all the cactus that grow are green, so they call it a green desert. And oh, nice. There's the saguaro. It's the, it's the cactus with the arms that you always see in cartoons or westerns. You know, sure. <laughs> the classic one, it only grows in that desert. So if you see that as a real cactus, you're seeing the desert that I live in. I have an agency uh, called High Voltage. And uh, we have an office in Phoenix where I'm at. We have an office in Berlin, an office in Melbourne. We do all kinds of SEO, local, national international, e-com, everything in between. How did you got into SEO industry? That's a very long story. Uh, I was a lawyer. <laughs> For those listening, he looked at the clock. <laughs> That's a very long story. Yeah, I don't think we got time for that. Yeah, um, I was a lawyer and uh, I decided to take a break and my life took a lot of twists and turns. And um, when living in South Korea, which everybody does, right? I started building websites. Back in South Korea? That's right. And then that website building led to the idea of, well, let's get some recurring uh, monthly income and we could do this thing called SEO. Yeah. <laughs> and then from there, I turned into the agency that I have now. That business didn't succeed or it morphed into something else. And then I was doing SEO on my own as a full-time job. And then I found my business partner, Andy, and uh, then we created High Voltage. And we've had High Voltage for, I think, six years now. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and then Page Optimizer Pro came from... That. So actually at the same time, then I mentioned the test site. So in the last three years, I've published almost 300 SEO tests. Oh yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Most of the tests are, are single variable tests. So we try to control the environment as much as possible. And at the end of the day, we're trying to figure out if this is or is not a ranking factor. You know, does this work or does it not? So the whole goal is just not to guess or, or not to, you can guess and you can have good guesses, but at the end of the day, there's no reason in arguing opinion. Yeah, it should be backed up by the data. Exactly. So go data first. And that's kind of what our agency is built on. The idea that we don't test on client sites, you know, <laughs> of course, yeah, <laughs> which I think most people do, but we set up tests then to figure out, okay, this looks like this is what it is. And then apply strategies from there. Sure. Uh, and then page optimizer pro came out of all that as well. So the one was page optimizer pro launched. We've actually had it since November of 
2017 and it was free for about eight months and it was a sad little tool. Yeah. It wasn't sad, but, um, yeah, it was at the back end of our agency and you put in your information and your email and we'd email you a spreadsheet. Now we have a dashboard and, and all that, but we've been, um, I guess officially launched since June of, right. of 2018. Yeah. I'm really excited to see like the new UI UX. Yeah. Yeah. Because I it's needed. Yeah. I believe it's, it's an amazing tool. And yes, I would love to see it grow yeah. along. Yes. What's well, nice. I mean, if you can get through all the data, it can be effective. One thing that we've struggled with is that, you know, when you look at the big boys and their on page tools, I think they're going to restrict the data or the, they're going to restrict the advice. And the reason is that if you show all the data, there's the chance that you could drop. You know, you could evaluate everything and, and you could actually make the wrong decision because yeah. all the, the data is there. And the big boys aren't going to feel comfortable with that because Moz doesn't need people calling them and saying like, Hey, I followed your advice and, yeah. and I dropped. So a tool like mine and, and, and others in the space, such as Quora or Surfer SEO or, or Cognitive SEO or, or other really, really great tools, we by and large give you all the data. Sure. Yeah. So the, this is what's going on in the SERP. You do have to pull out a little bit and there are recommendations, obviously, but with the possibility of dropping, there's also the possibility of getting a huge edge. And that's where I think the tool is valuable or our tool is valuable is that you can actually really get edges with all these tools. It's the same concept. Yeah. So usually this is what I recommend to my readers is number one, that you write like what you have to write. Of course, you follow the same process that we already discussed a few minutes mm-hmm. back. And then once you're done writing, basically, you know, put everything on the on-page SEO tools and see what the data says, what it suggests. And see what of the suggestion, what all you can integrate in your content as long as it stays natural. Of course, what just what makes sense. Yeah. And if you follow that principle, your your content is going to do great. So guys, there you go. Do let us know how you like this podcast. And before we move ahead, just two questions, Kyle. How do listener connect with you? Well, you know, we have live support on Page Optimizer Pro, and I'm often on it. <laughs> yeah, but I believe you will not be there after six months. Yeah, probably not, right? Probably so, not. So what's the best way they can actually follow your work? That's a great question. I need a better answer. I think half the internet has my email at this point. I'm also in groups like, uh, oh, yeah, uh, Cora and Pop actually just launched a little Skype group. You can ask any question in there. So too. I believe you're social, but you're not on social media platform, are you? Um, yeah, I'm on Facebook, but I, I just the normal... Hmm. I'm doing a terrible job at this. This is a terrible answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. Now you know, now, now you know the first thing that you should be doing. Yeah. yeah. We've talked about this before. There's so many things that you should be doing. Yeah. And clearly this is one that I should be doing. Definitely. Okay. I hope you actually do that. And then I'll add his contact info in the yeah, description. Please, please. Okay. Any other person that we should be inviting on our podcast? Ted Kubitis from, from Cora. If you really want to get down to some data, hmm. nobody knows SEO data science better than him. Sure. It's, it's phenomenal. The amount of knowledge that he has, he works a lot with correlational analysis. So running large scale, uh, correlational tests to see what's actually moving rank. It's phenomenal. The work that he's doing and he's an open book, you know, where, so if you really want to get down to some nitty gritty technical SEO, I would talk to him. He and I actually have a a YouTube show that we do on Wednesdays uh, called SEO fight club. Yeah. That's actually a way to connect with me right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. That reminded me two important questions that we were discussing. How do you update yourself with the latest SEO information? So there's a podcast called SEO This Week, and it's done by a guy named Clint Butler. And Clint Butler and I also do a show together. He's on, on SEO Fight Club. But he goes through maybe 100 to 150 articles a week and then scales it down to 5 to 10. And so I listen to that. 
So it's like a summary of what's happening in the search engine world? Exactly right. That week. Okay. So, and he runs through all the articles from all the major things, and even not some major things, just the articles that people are talking about, and then he breaks it down to about five to ten, and then if I find any of those interesting, then I'll go and read them, but yeah. it's an excellent way to not have to read 150 articles. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, SEO this week, it's really good. Okay. You mentioned about SEO Fight Club. Mm-hmm. That's your podcast? Yeah, it's a YouTube channel, and we're going to have a podcast soon. So, that's where people can actually find you. Yeah, hit, hit me there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, SEO Fight Club, that's on YouTube. You can go and subscribe there to join Kyle's journey. And it's not really a fight. The fight is actually against conventional thought. Yeah. And it does get a little technical, because... It's a, it's a debate, is it? Not really. Okay. It's more of a... Um, this is a, a test that we did. These are the findings. Let's discuss these findings, because it usually... The fight is actually with conventional thought, or what Google says... Or what regular, or what the SEO community thinks. That's usually what the fight is. Not so. It's not really a debate between the people on, but it's a more of a debate against what the conventional thought is. Like our meta descriptions are ranking factor. I think that's our second episode. Sure. Okay. What? So everyone like, no, they're not a ranking factor. Well, are you sure? Like that's that's what the yeah. There was news like in 2013-14, meta description does not yeah. matter. So I- then we'll run tests on that. So scientific test, correlational analysis, and then we'll look at that. And are they ranking factor? Yes. Okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thank you, guys. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you, you are, for having me. You've always been lovely with sharing your information, sharing the knowledge that you have. And I believe the SEO world becomes a better place like this. So thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed this show. And if you liked it, do like and review our show. It would help us to grow. Do share this episode with any friend who is into SEO, who is into blogging and trying to figure out how to rank higher. This stuff is real gold. And don't forget to subscribe to my podcast. I'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye. This is Harsh Agrawal from Shout Me Loud. Thanks for listening to the Shout Me Loud podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to stay updated with the latest blogging techniques. For more information about Harsh and this awesome podcast, head over to www.shoutmeloud.com.